0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to What's Holding You Back. This is our January Writing Challenge edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, this month, we're live talking about everything that might hold a writer back from producing the work that you want to write and how you might be able to overcome your roadblocks. Today, we get to hear from two writers, Liesl Swagger and Kathleen Flynn. Good morning, you two. Thanks so much for being on the show. We've got, Liesl's got... She's drinking coffee. <laughs> Liesl is a graduate of the Novel Incubator, so I know Liesl pretty damn well. She's uh, She has a pretend deadline in March for her current revision of her novel, which is called A Single Season. The book is about a ballet dancer, and Liesl herself um, has based the book on her own experience at, in the world of ballet. Kathleen Flynn is a c- classical singer, educator at... Berkeley College of Music and Tufts University, and an alum of the Grub Street Novel Incubator. So she also has a background in voice and performance. Both of these two have a background in performance, and I think that's gonna help us with one of the questions we're talking about today. So remember everyone, you can still submit your own writing issue in response to the prompt, What Holds You Back? either in a one minute or less voice recording or in a 200 word or less written paragraph. I actually really like to get the voice recordings because it's just nice to hear people's voice. If you have a smartphone of any kind, you can usually find voice memos on your phone. Click it, make an easy recording and and share it and share it to uh, the 7amnovelist.substack.com email. Um, You can also email me um, your uh, paragraph uh, on your issue at 7amnovelist.substack.com and I'll take it either way. Either way is good. Uh, Also, sometimes giving us more specifics about your questions helps us answer the question. For instance, I had one writer who was talking about that she had trouble finding the proper writing space. So I wrote back to her asking, okay, what is your writing space? Do you have any writing space? What's your living situation? How many people do you live with? What's your work situation? Um, do you live in a city? Do you live in a, in a rural area? So that sort of thing that can kind of help us um, answer it. I had another writer who was wondering about narrative dissonance and I was like, oh, that's a good question. Had Have you run into the problem of narrative distance in a uh, writing workshop? Or with any readers that they've actually raised the question. When and where did they raise the question? What were they talking about in response to your manuscript? So that sort of thing can help us give us specifics um, to answer the question. Even if it, even if our answers to the question go back to the broader question, it's still, it's similar to um, uh, the the specific is universal uh, that we always talk in writing anyway. Um, so so that helps us. So. Feel free to submit your own. Okay, we're going to get right into our listeners' questions. Um, In the chat, I would love to hear if you have had the same problem. Um, And you can also talk about your problems in the chat, and you can also offer your own two cents of um, advice in the chat as well. I would love, love to see that. Okay. The first uh, question we got in written form, and this came from Miriam. She writes, I freeze when it comes time to submit. I feel equal parts of fear of rejection and, if you can believe this, fear of success. They both seem to leave me very vulnerable. Either no one wants my writing or everyone hates me for being successful. So I write and I rewrite, then wait, reread, polish. But then I leave it, languish in my word files and start a new project. This is ridiculous, help. Okay, Um, the the sad thing is this is not ridiculous. I don't Mm -hmm. think this is ridiculous at all. Um, Kathleen, why don't we start with you? Um, Have you had this sort of issue?
1: Uh yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely in writing, but at, certainly as as a as a performer, as a singer, um, I'm sure Liesel as well. It's you never think you're done. You never think you're ready. You never think a, a piece is ready to perform. Um, that you've finished practicing enough. Um, that your writing is polished enough. I, I absolutely. I think this is a great question because. I think probably most artists have uh, experienced this at some point in their artistic career um, but the interesting thing is is just it's never going to be perfect a performance is never perfect a book is never perfect michelle all, all often talks about how the novel is always broken there are there <laughs> they're they're very difficult to perfect um, and I think we can always hone our work uh, for sure. And, and there are lots of wonderful performers who, who talk about that. If um, there's a great story about Casals, a wonderful um, Spanish cellist who into his eighties would be practicing regularly several hours a day. And in an interview, he was asked, why do you still practice? And he responded, well, I think I'm getting somewhere. So even great artists who produce you know, extraordinarily beautiful into our ears and eyes, um, perfect performances have this impulse to continue to grow and hone. So it, it's a good impulse, but you have to release it out into the world. And what I think is really interesting is that Um, The releasing into the world, whether it's an audio performance or a written piece, is part of your growth process, and you learn so much when it is released into the world. You might learn that it needs to be revised again, no problem, but there's something that happens in in a performance or um when you let your your baby story or your novel out into the world with your with your mind with the way you conceive of a problem um and to bring it to the context of writing I think in 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 our um novel incubator program there was one of the big revisions that I was really struggling with and I finally had a deadline had to release it and it was only after I shared it um with my colleagues that a problem was solved for me i woke up in the middle of the night and i thought oh this is how i'm going to do it but it wasn't until i actually released it that i was able to solve that problem or to or to figure out a path to solve this problem um and i I think that 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 often um this sounds to me also like performance anxiety which of course performers deal with and you can um There's an interesting neuroscientist, whose name is uh, Stephanie Fay, who talks about um, building um, building courage, uh, the science of courage and and, uh, having different exercises in order to build that and and there's sort of three different suggestions she has and one is to um, build your base of experiences. And that's the, the releasing of your work into the world, um, to really challenge to challenge yourself to do something out of your comfort zone. So it might be um, that for Marion, you might want to, to take a piece that maybe is a little less scary and just share it with a friend, um, mm-hmm. post it somewhere, um, something that's sort of low stakes, just to begin to build up that base of experiences where you can say, I did it and I survived. Um, and I think and one of the other things she talks about is a reappraisal of the physiological symptoms. So sometimes we can, we can be physically paralyzed by our anxiety to release something. And it can be, you know, as a, as a singer, shaking legs or, or sweaty palms or whatever symptoms you personally might be experiencing. But to see if you can not be afraid of those symptoms and not sort of say, ah, this is something I have to contain and stop, but rather acknowledge them and acknowledge that it's because you're excited. This is also, it's scary, but it's exciting and you care about it. And the third thing that she talks about, which I think might be the most interesting for you is to uh, think about the experience rather than the outcome. And it sounds specifically uh, like um, Marion is talking about no one wants my writing or everyone hates me so it's very much about your audience and of course we're all doing this for an audience of course of course but that is something you can't control the response of other people so i think that outcome of uh i want them to love me not hate me um is is not not within our control so if the outcome can be um, readjusted. That just the experience of actually submitting is the goal. Then that might help. I'm going to shut up now. I'm talking too much.
0: Oh no, no, no. That's great, great. Um, and and I do. I oftentimes because the in our class we we do a reading at the end of um, the class, and I, I I and I think this is true. And I and I read about it with with um, in terms of what. Anxiety and fear feels like in the body mm. that it actually feels physically feels the same as excitement. Yes. Um, so um, it's the story you tell yourself about what that feeling is. And I think we tend to t- tell the, the more of the story of fear than excitement. But if you can reframe that story that you're telling yourself, um, that can be that can be helpful as well. Um, Lisa, how about you? What has been your experience with this and how how have you overcome it
2: um so i i hated performing i was a very nervous performer um and uh but i like thinking about like on stage um but thinking about sort of performing on stage like that being sort of how you submit your work um there is actually something kind of nice because you have like a series of performances. And so it's, you, you're you like, okay, there was that show and then there's another show. So there's a way that the performance doesn't feel quite as final, I think, as when you submit your work on a page and you're like, well, this is it. Um, here's my thing. And, and so I think like sort of similar to what Kathleen was saying, like I think as a writer, if we think about that, submission as not like the final, like crossing the finish line, but like, yeah, well, it's just this performance and like, yeah, maybe my piece gets rejected and I make some changes and then I have like another performance with it. Right. So that it's, it doesn't have that same sort of feeling of finality to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think for me, like, whether it's like nervousness about being on stage or like a fear of my work being rejected, I can't wait for that feeling to go away before I do the thing. Like I have to do the thing and see that like the world doesn't come to an end. Um, right. And if that's not to say that rejection doesn't sting because of course it does, but I will say the one thing that I sort of enjoy about writing versus performing on stage is I submit my work and it's like six months, nine months, maybe a year later that I like finally hear back. And like that sort of that volume of excitement that I have when I submit the work, like that's really had a long time to come down by the time that email like finally shows up where I get rejected. And it just, the the sting of rejection, like it's not in the same proportion to that like volume of excitement and hope that I have when I submit and um and like Kathleen was saying like of course the audience matters like I wouldn't submit if I didn't care about the audience um but I I do like in my own mind I try to sort of like separate like the process from like Kathleen like was saying like the outcome like of course I want people to read my work and like it, of course I want it to be accepted, but (laughs) like, I can't really let that be the only focus. I mean, I have to find something to love in the process too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So focusing on the process instead of the final outcome is, is huge. Um, the delay can be helpful. I also know writers, um, um, One of our writers, Jenny Wood, who's who is a musician and she also has uh, published her her first novel, A Boy Like Me, she published through a micro press because just because she had more control of the experience Um, and then she's published several graphic novels as well. And she just got, she went crazy with the delay. She was like, this, this isn't normal. This is not, you know, Mm -hmm. when I'm a musician, I'm able to get it. So she just, she wanted to get, to get the information out there. But I, I personally think the delay can be, can be very, very helpful. Um, but also to remember that, yeah, it's, it's when you submit a work, uh, to be published somewhere, um, as you said, it's, it's, it's not it, because you will, if particularly if you're working through a traditional publishing house, or even if you're submitting to a magazine or whatever, or even if you're self-publishing, hopefully you're submitting that to an editor or someone to work with you ahead of time, you will probably be revising that so many times before it goes out in the world that you'll you'll actually be pretty sick of it. <laughs> yeah. um, you'll, you'll just reach a point where you're just like, oh, I'm done with this. Oh God, now I have to do copy edit. So so th- that's just part of the process. Um, we also have people in the chat who they, they say, I can completely relate. Um, the problem of knowing whether or not it's done yeah,
1: it's a good is one.
0: <laughs> a big question. And I know Laura Groff has said, lots. Of, even Laura Groff said, you don't. <laughs> um, I have told my students a number of times I've said, exhaustion does not equal completion, um, but then you, you will get very tired of your work, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that you're done. It really is going to take other people reading the work to giving give you some uh, feedback about where you're at. Um, that being said, um, I know a writer, Her I need to look up her name again, uh, but her her book was a huge, huge hit last year um and was everywhere and when she had uh, finished her draft um one of her teachers said okay this is good but now you need now you probably need to work on your sentences for another year or your sentence style for another year and she actually <laughs> sold it within like a month and and the book sold far far more copies than this teacher so so you never know what's going to happen. I think what is guaranteed, what you want to think about is guaranteed is that you will be rejected you will be rejected many, 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 many times. So just take that for a fact. You will be rejected. Um, and if there are people that hate you because you're successful, oh God, I, maybe that's a good like way of getting rid of those people in your life. Because <laughs> you just don't think those people are, are helpful to you. And there'll be plenty other people that you can find that will be helpful to you. Um, I also recommend that get a writing buddy that... Forces you to submit. Um, they you, that you could you could get someone it could be a friend, a colleague. You could even pay someone for this if you if they have the funds for doing so, and say okay, that person forces you to name a deadline, and they force you to meet the deadline. And they might even you might even have the um, you might even have to send it to them, and they send it out for you. Um, that way, you don't really have a choice. Um, and that way, you can also probably get used to that, that constant cycle of rejection and acceptance and people loving you or hating you or not, but whatever, whatever is happening. Um, also, just getting used to to that performance and, and, and forcing yourself to go on stage, uh, I think works really well. Anything else, folks, that you wanted to mention in terms of this? It's such a broad, it's, I, I know someone who's been working on a novel for 20 years and he still hasn't submitted it. Oof. I think um, it's so
1: fascinating. One of the, one of our uh, colleagues in the, in my incubator group, um, beautiful writer. She is the master of revision. She rewrites her novel every time we see it. Yeah, Um, I know who you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's fascinating and inspiring. But what's interesting to me, it's it's always her novel. It always has the kernel of um, of what she's exploring. And the characters have a steadiness throughout, no matter what she does to the plot and how she um, manipulates the the characters. Um, But it really shows me that um, we have so many choices. There are so many possibilities in the world of your story and your characters. And, and I have to say that often, even though she makes radical changes, the the piece is still there. Yeah. And, and that, that, that actually, I think is, is really exciting that you could continue to revise and revise and revise. or you can stop and let it go and both choices are okay um i I think that um she she has stopped (laughs) and she started to send it out which is great and and i think that she actually feels really wonderful having released it and and stopped revising at this point in time but um but that's sort of a beautiful thing that um that the 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 core of the piece is still there no matter what the revision is. Um, I'm not sure if that's helpful at this point in time for Marion, but uh, it's, it's fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, so Cam in the chat also asked, can you get lost in the swamp of revising and never, never releasing the book? I think you absolutely can. And I, I think you have to, I mean, for myself, like,
2: I just have to, um, like I just have to decide at some point that like, I'm just, yeah. it's going out and, and it's not done and it's not perfect and it's just going. Hmm. Um, and then, then I can come back to it again later or whatever, but, um, but yeah I, yeah, I do think with like the sort of the fear of performance, the fear of submitting, like the only way to get out, I mean, you can't wait for that feeling to change. You first.
1: have to like submit, you,
2: you have to let it go. You have to let it go and that's the only, it's the action of letting it go that will enable the feeling to change. Yep.
0: And there's lots of times when you submit something and you realize, oh, this is what I should have done with it. (laughs) Or or you have a breakthrough. And you, of course, wish you'd had that before you submitted it, but what happens, happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Randy in his, his work, he's an engineer, my husband, and he always says, perfection is the enemy of good. Yep. Uh, or perfection is the enemy of done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just not gonna get there. It's not, it's absolutely not gonna be perfect. Okay, let's play. We've got um, a recording from Taya, So I hope everyone can hear this. Here we go. I sometimes find myself creating characters who are more like wind up toys set up to fill in a compelling plot. What I'd like to do is make characters more compelling in their own right and drivers of the plot themselves so that a reader will be dying to know what the character will choose to do next, rather than what the story will force them to do next. Oops, sorry about that. So, plot before character. (laughs) Lisa, have you had any experience with this? Oh, I certainly have. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yes. so remember, I remember sort of at the end of Novel Incubator, you know, we'd done spent all year on this whole revision and you gave me like pages and pages of wonderful, wonderful notes. And there's one sentence in there. You said, who is Claudio? And I read that sentence and I was like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really like, I couldn't like, how could I have worked on this thing all year? And not be able to answer that question. But I I couldn't answer it. Um, And so in in going back to it, um, one of the things I found really helpful is um, there's an essay about the author-narrator-character merge. And one of the lines in there, I just keep repeating to myself, um, your character has to be a warm new being. They have to be like other. They have to be separate from you. Um, And I have found that really helpful to keep in mind. Um, And one of the sort of, as I've been working on revision, um, Claudio now has a new backstory and there's a way in which his backstory, I think really drives him in the present that wasn't there before. Um, And that has been really helpful. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's a way in which, um, oh, I was about to say something that might be kind of, a f- never mind. Um, but, you know, my, my, my thing that I keep in my head is like, what would Claudio do? Like, not what I would do in this situation, but what would Claudio do?
0: Um, so, yeah, that essay, I can't remember the name of the author, but. The sure. author's name is Frederick Riken or Rick Riken. And, and and most of you guys, you should be able to, if, I think if you Google that, Frederick Riken. I think he's still teaching at Emerson, mm-hmm. uh, but it's called the author-character, um, the author-narrator-character merge. Um, and so you can find it that way, yeah. Sorry. And, and yeah, he's he's helpful in, because because lots of times people can't see their characters or make them function on the page because the character is simply too close to them. Mm-hmm. And so what the author is doing is basically, um, basically the, the character becomes um an observer as well which is a problem and the character kind kind of becomes a replacement for the author themselves and um for me personally every time I've written a character that is very close to me in age um age gender and time period I get stuck um and I have yet to write a character that works for me um and so, there's a couple novels I've actually given up on in doing that. Um, but, but it, it, it uh, and then other people have a different problem that they they can only write pe- about people that are as close to them because they need to understand them in that way. Kathleen, if you had experience with this,
1: oh God, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I think one of the biggest issues that I have is my main character just observes the world and. Um, right. Um, so really developing um, agency for her um, is what i'm focusing on in my current revision Um, and this question actually reminded me of a podcast that i was listening to my husband is a huge comedy fan and we were listening to mike birbiglia's podcast which is very interesting it's called working it out and he talks about the craft of of comedy Uh, And in it, he usually has a a guest come on and at the very end of the show they workshop a joke, or a a bit, and uh, this particular episode Gary Goldman was on and uh, he had a a good account or joke or something and, and Mike said oh yeah 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 that's good, how does it make you feel. So in the particular kind of comedy they do, um, it's quite autobiographical. They take an event of their life and then create these shows around it. Mike's recent show is called The Old Man in the Pool. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, and that formula plot, feeling, plot, feeling was something he was talking about quite a bit, and it actually reminds me a lot of um, uh, he works with Ira Glass uh, quite a bit and Ira Glass of uh, NPR this American life, fame, um, and that's something that Ira all, all often reminds him is the feeling part of it, um, and I think it probably comes from that Henry James's idea of uh, that Michelle talks about constantly. It's really wonderful and helpful. What is character, but the determination of incident and what is character what, what is character about the illustration of plot so plot and character have to be absolutely connected um, and maybe Michelle you can talk a little bit more about um, how one does
0: that yes because I so I always go back to Henry James and there's he, he writes it in an essay that's that's kind of spread out more so it's a little difficult to, to quote more exactly um, but basically, character determines incident, incident reveals characters, how I've always paraphrased it. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is something in your character, and and, and character in, in many ways in, in a text is actually a lot more simple than people are in real life, uh, that the character has some wound or flaw or misconception um, that, is, that is holding them back, uh, a story that they tell themselves, that they continue with, and they continue in this kind of you know, gerbil wheel, and they can't get out of it. And whatever it is, discovering that, knowing that that is what's going to call uh, call the incident into being, because the character needs to be tested about that particular wound or flaw or misconception. Um, so whatever you're throwing at them is going to have to resonate deeply with that uh, wound that they have. And then how they respond to it uh, will then show us who they are. Um, The writer Josh Weil always talks about, he says, all I think about plotting is that I find a character's wound and I poke a stick at it, which is exactly what you want to do. Um, Lots of times people are much too kind to their characters, but really you do want to poke the stick at it because you want to test them, you want them to open up, you want them to to break down in some way. Um, Even Aristotle talked about the breaking down of character um, in order to reveal character. In order for them to reveal to themselves who they are to us as the reader, their their humanity, that's what we're looking for. And and, and then who they are at the end will be who they're going to be, um, usually for a year or more or several. I mean, that's why, why it feels like an ending of a book. Um, even Flannery O'Connor says um, uh, a story uh, isn't finished until the mystery of the character has been revealed. So you're really really going for the character. Now, if you have your plot first, what do you do? You can try to backwards engineer it. Um, So what kind of character would most be tested by this particular incident? Um, and so you can backward engineer it and try to figure out who would most, who would this incident, uh, most be problematic for and try to find the character there. It's easier to go the other direction, but you can backwards engineer it a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of others. And in the chat, if you guys have any, similar, uh, experience or anything that, um, Okay, John was talking about the interview we had with uh, Michael oh, Lincoln Michael, he says in his sub stack, has a great post about making a character a weird little freak. And he goes on to talk about a character with flaws who is not likable. Great essay. Again, so again, a weird little freak, whatever their weirdness is, whatever their freakishness is, whatever's wrong with them, whatever makes them, I mean, probably a, li- a little different than us which is strange because whatever makes them a little different than us also makes them a little like us uh, because whatever their brokenness is, whatever their wound is draws us in and makes us feel like, oh, they're wounded too. Oh, they're broken too. Um, and if you can find that, if you can discover that, then knowing and matching the plot to that wound or, or freakishness or weirdness is going to help you quite a lot, yeah.
2: And I think that like action reaction like yeah. keeping that in mind, like my like I have to get Claudio to react. He has to react to this. He has to react to this. And sometimes that means like letting go of what I thought was gonna happen next, because Claudio's reaction isn't leading to that. Right. It so, might actually like, make Claudio your
0: plot change been quite now. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Enforcing that, enforcing that so again that they're not an observer. Yeah. Um I remember when I did. Some acting in, in high school. They always reminded us on stage, you know, make sure you're not just standing there staring at the audience. If you're a side character, you actually have to be involved in the action and you have to be doing things. Mm-hmm. Now, um, that's easier to do when you're not actually uh, driving the plot. Uh, what is the worst thing that the character could do in that situation? that might cause a change that might cause something of consequence to happen? Um, What's the last thing that you think that they would say? And I I hear lots of writers say, um, Oh, when I, I see them write this, they almost did this, or they almost said this. And I'm like, why don't you try to just have them say it? Hmm. Why don't you try to just have them do it? and see what happens after that, because that will probably give you a lot of story because you're trying to push your character to such an extent that they are gonna be forced to act because they don't have any choice otherwise. Um, someone else in the chat talks about, um, Cassandra says, when my writing feels most effective, I find I often feel frustrated by my protagonist. That's how I know their flaws present presence intangible in the story. Yes, I love that. I love that, Cassandra. And Elaine says, um, I am turning uh, between giving the character an understandable cause for bad behavior and wanting the baddie to be easy to dislike. Um, Are you trying to, so Elaine, are you trying to um, understand, are you trying to decide what to do between those two or I didn't quite understand. Do you guys get that? Um, I think, yeah, I think, um,
1: to, uh, or in between, torn, yeah. torn, torn yeah. between um giving the character a believable backstory that makes you sympathize with them, or just have them be clearly bad. But that also
2: sounds to me like the the writer wanting to protect their protagonist mm-hmm. and like keep them likable. And I think you need to like you gotta like let it go. Yeah. Like it's okay if the reader doesn't, doesn't like somebody. Love your mm-hmm. character like at least for a little while. I mean, you want them to like follow the character, but yeah. Um, And I think because we've all done terrible things, like you can maybe let your character be a little more dislikable than you would like to.
0: Yes. You know, allow them to do bad things. Think about every fairy tale that you know. Every fairy tale you know begins with someone doing something wrong they're breaking a rule okay um so you have um you have a witch you have a a mother breaking into a garden in order to get a certain kind of lettuce that she's hungry for (laughs) um or you get um someone uh opening a door to a room or you always get someone breaking a rule you have to allow people to do break rules to do something bad in order to to start the plot in motion um someone else says perhaps it depends on whether the writer starts writing with the character or with the plot yeah i do think it's easier if you start writing with the character but again you can backwards engineer it if you start writing with the plot if it's the latter maybe the character doesn't need to be as fully realized sometimes even character types or stereotypes can work well for certain plots they can um there are certain, you know, if you have a novel of ideas or a certain kind of novel, though I I kind of worry that in American fiction, for the most part, we are looking for those more fully realized characters. Certainly the the um, tertiary characters, the third level characters that are kind of acting on the side can be more stereotyped characters. Um, but otherwise, I think you're looking for more of that that character development. And also like um, when, when the characters make,
2: bad choices and do bad things. I mean, that's where conflict comes from. And then that like sort of brings in the energy.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not going to be any conflict. And so that's also by, you know, you're not just having the care to do bad things. Every time you're writing a scene, I hope you know what your character's intentions are for that scene. Hmm. Cause that's going to give you somewhere to go with the scene. Um, and if, and and that can be a problem too. If you don't know what your characters' intentions are for the scene, they could just be acting here or there in ways that um, confuse us and don't match up because we don't understand their motivations. But if you if you're beginning to write a scene, you're like, I know what this character's intention is for the scene, and their intention could simply be that they want to eat a bagel. It could be <laughs> it could be really easy. And notice that that can cause conflict because someone else might be trying to take the damn bagel away from them. So you never know what's going to happen, but what is their intention for the scene? And then we have Aaron in the chat saying, um, it might be worth remembering that perfect people protagonists are also in well, this is true. Oh my God, mm-hmm. we hate perfect people. <laughs> um and then carla says i've struggled a lot with a crappy thing that one of my protagonists has done putting it in taking it out putting it back in i kept thinking she would never do this but in a moment of weakness anyone can do something regrettable it's funny because my other protagonist's whole story is about her doing something that some readers will hate her for and i haven't struggled with it at all interesting (laughs) um that is also about instinct like would my character really do this and that's about that's about knowing your character as well you you won't you know i carla i actually think that's a good thing if you're like oh she would never do this she would do this that means you know your character and so again if we go back to talia's dilemma she's got a plot pushing her character and she's not paying attention to the character um him or herself or their self and not paying attention to what a character would or would not do so I would allow a character's intentions, a character's flaws, a character's min- misconceptions to drive your plot, however you can do it. And you will probably, once they go through those incidents and once you, they go through those experience, you will learn them even more every time you push them through something difficult. Okay, everyone, we're gonna have to go. Um, Everyone, you can find our full schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can subscribe there for updates. You can also find our full range of podcast episodes on that page, including episodes from our past two writing challenges, as well as on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, please follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. You can still submit your writing issues if you wish. Um, and you can still register, uh, for the live version of the seminar. So, Hey kitties, I shouldn't even call you kitties, but you were my students at one point. (laughs) Hi Kathleen. And Lisa, do you have any last genius advice for people facing writing obstacles? Hmm. I mean, just try it.
2: Just like, you know, throw spaghetti at the wall. Like you just like action, Any kind of action I feel like is better than paralysis. Do it. Just
1: do it
0: just do it okay let's end there everyone just do it I mean what else are you going to do at what 7.42am now now you got to stay and try and something
1: crazy with your character
0: you try something crazy lost, with your character you okay lost, thank you, found, you all for joining us you thank really you, you so much Lisa and Kathleen you couldn't have pleasure. done this without my same. writers joining and us and, and so I hope everyone way. is able to get back to their desk and get some excellent writing for today thank you there isn't nothing here at all